When the day of Pentecost come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a fountain wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be the tongues of fire and separated, that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard about this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then, how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonder of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does that mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. While I was getting organized and doing some preparation for today, I was reading the story of Peter preaching at the home of Cornelius and uh, he was telling them about Jesus. And it says uh, in Acts chapter 10, uh, verses 44 and 45, it says, While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. What struck me it was the use of the word fell. The Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. I think that's important for a couple of reasons. I think it tells us that the Holy Spirit is the one who initiates communication and reaction. They didn't uh, try to, to jump up and grab it as some sort of power or charm because you, you can't do that. They weren't trying to work up some emotional frenzy. Peter was uh, still droning on. And maybe you should be praying for the Holy Spirit to come before I'm finished today. Fell. The Holy Spirit fell on them. Kind of means to, to rush or to press upon, to come suddenly upon, to, to cut down. And in other words, there's no disputing that Holy Spirit was present at that moment in that place. They could physically feel the presence of God with them. As I read uh, that story, my mind went to other places in the Bible where the power of God uh, fell. In First Chronicles uh, chapter uh, 21 and 26, David has been disobedient. He decided that he needed to count the number of people in Israel and the army, and God said that was just wrong. And so the whole nation was punished because of David's disobedience. And he was given the opportunity to present an offering to God. And in First Chronicles 21 and 26, it says, He, that is David, called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offering. Then later, Solomon 
is the one who builds the temple. Second Chronicles 7, 1 says, When Solomon finished praying, fire fell down or came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests couldn't enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and they gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good and His love endures forever. These were undeniable, indisputable, irrefutable, visible, tangible manifestations of the power of God. But for me is one that stands out above the rest. And that is when Elijah squared off with Ahab and the false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And you can read that story in 1 Kings chapter 18. The false prophets of Baal and Elijah, the man of God, came to this agreement. They would build an altar and they would offer sacrifice. But they wouldn't set fire to it. They would call on their God. And whichever one set fire to the altar was the true God. So the prophets of Baal went first, and there were 400 of them. And they built their altar. And they began to pray, and nothing happened. And they prayed from morning until midday, and nothing happened. So Elijah began to get a wee bit cheeky. He started to go, what, is he sleeping? Maybe you need to shout louder. Maybe he's away for a walk. And he started to have a go at them. And nothing happened. And it says they beat themselves into a frenzy. They started to cut themselves. And nothing happened. And eventually, Elijah said, right, it's my turn. And he rebuilt the altar that had been torn down, the altar to God that had been torn down. And he got them to dig a trench around it. And he put the wood on and he put the bull on as the sacrifice. And then he said, now get me water. And they got 12 large vessels for water and they poured it over the top of the sacrifice. And there was so much water that it filled the trench around about the sacrifice. What we sometimes forget about that is They'd had three years of drought. So that water was really precious. And it was poured out on the sacrifice. And Elijah didn't have to do anything other than say, Lord, come and show these people that you are God and there is no other. And it says the fire of God fell and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the wood and the stones for the altar. And it soaked up all of the water in the trench around it. And it says when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they worshipped God. There was no denying who was God and who was not God? Because the fire of God 
fell, they experienced a visible, tangible manifestation of the power of God. They had a God encounter. And then my mind goes to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The fire of God fell on David's altar and burnt offerings. The fire of God fell on Solomon's offering and sacrifice. The fire of God fell on the offering at Mount Carmel. Holy Ghost fire fell on the day of Pentecost. And Holy Ghost fire fell on the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius. And in every case, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, It was a visible, tangible, undeniable manifestation of the presence and the power of God. I wonder today if in the church in Scotland we have raised generations of Christians who have never had a God encounter. Who have never had that visible, physical, tangible experience of the presence of God. We know God in theory. We know God religiously. We know God mentally and intellectually. We know about God. But have we ever had a Mount Carmel day of Pentecost, house of Cornelius, encounter with the fire of the Holy Spirit falling on us? Have you ever had a burning bush experience? Have you ever experienced Holy Spirit seizing you, taking possession of you, so that you know, you know that it's God who is there? There can be no denying it. To so many people, I think in churches across Scotland, it's, it's just an idea if it's ever talked about at all. We might mention Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but, well, you know. Holy Spirit is not the figment of an overactive imagination. Holy Spirit is not just religious ramblings of the mentally unstable. The fire of God is the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is God and he is the might and the power and the will of God. He is the same fire that fell on Mount Carmel, the same fire that fell on the day of Pentecost, the same fire that fell in Cornelius' house. He is real, tangible, alive, contagious. The power of God Holy Spirit can heal in ways that medicine can't. Doctors can treat cancer with surgery, with chemotherapy and radiotherapy. But the Holy Spirit can burn cancer out of your body and never leave a trace and with no harmful side effects. Holy Spirit can burn drugs out of your system and take the desire away all at the same time. Holy Spirit can deliver from alcohol, pornography, lust and greed He can burn up jealousy, pride, criticism, bitterness, and unforgiveness. He will heal your broken heart and restore your joy and peace. He can heal your marriage. He can heal your mind. 
And our prayer should be, send that fire today again on us. Let your fire fall. That same fire that fell on the day of Pentecost. That same fire that fell on the house of Cornelius. Do it again. And just in case you think, I'm asking for something new. God has already sent revival in Cambus Lang, Orkney, Keith, Blair Gowrie, Edinburgh, Wick, Och, Cromarty, Dingwall, Kilsyth, and Lewis. This is nothing new. This is something that God longs to pour out on his people. This is something that, that as God's people, we should be praying for. We should be eagerly desiring. 1905, Charlotte Chapel, just along the road. The pastor, Joseph Kemp, went to Wales and it says he brought back revival with him. He says, he writes, I spent two weeks watching, experiencing, drinking in, having my own heart searched, comparing my methods with those of the Holy Ghost. And then I returned to my people in Edinburgh to tell what I had seen. They began nightly meetings with conversions at every meeting. They are described as, as meetings of emotion and commotion. We want to do everything decently and in order. And you know, I, underst I understand that. But, but, have we for too long said we need to do things decently and in order? And actually block the work of the Holy Spirit in our congregations across the Church of Scotland. There was nothing humanly speaking to account for what happened. Quite suddenly, upon one another came an overwhelming sense of the reality and the awfulness of his presence and of eternal things. Life, death, and eternity seemed laid bare. Prayer and weeping began and gained in intensity every moment. Each seemed to sing and to pray oblivious of one another. And then the prayer broke out again. Waves and waves of prayer. And the midnight hour was reached. Didn't tell us when they started. But the midnight hour was reached. I find myself so often looking at the clock. The hours passed like minutes. It's useless being a spectator looking on or praying at it in order to catch its spirit and breath. It's necessary to be in it, praying in it, part of it, caught by the same power, swept by the same wind. These waves of revival were preceded by prayer, passionately expressed desire for the salvation of people was the dominant feature. There would often be simultaneous praying. The prayer meetings were as though held by invisible hands and were usually of a tumultuous sort. 
Imagine a tumultuous prayer meeting. I have them every Thursday morning <laughs> at seven o'clock when leaders across Edinburgh and Lothian gather for prayer. And if you're not up there speaking, as the, as the person before you says amen, you don't get in. And it's great. It's so good. And so, if God has done it before, do we genuinely believe that God can do it again? And if we do, what are we going to do about it? We can't, we can't force God's hand. We can't. But these times of renewal, of refreshing, of regeneration in history of Scotland came when people got together and were hungry for more of God. They wanted to see God come again. Where they weren't just satisfied to read about it or sing about it. They wanted to experience God for themselves. Not just as a theory or a concept, but tangibly. The same power that divided the Red Sea, that caused water to flow out of a rock like a river. It's the same power that made three Hebrew children fireproof. It's the same power that that gave Daniel's lion's lockjaw. It's the same power that shook Paul and Silas's prison and opened all the gates. It's the same power that was in Jesus' life, that opened blind eyes, unstopped deaf ears, that made the lame walk and the dumb talk. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it is available to you and to me today. That's God's promise for his people. God longs to pour out his spirit on his people. Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. Jeremiah 33 and 3 Call to me, says God, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Hunger for God is a magnet. Hunger for God is what will draw anointing from God. Hunger for God will open the door for the manifestation of the power of God. Are we hungry? Are we really, truly, genuinely hungry for God? and for all that he has for us. Do you want the power of God in your life? I hope so. My prayer is that we would be hungry, that in this place today, we would meet with God. Wherever there's an altar, 
wherever there's sacrifice, wherever there's prevailing prayer, wherever there are hungry hearts, wherever there's a desperation for him, God answers by his Spirit. I believe God is here today, here to save us, here to heal, here to deliver, to restore marriages, to heal your broken heart, to revive you, to put his fire back in you, to give you a fresh anointing of his Spirit, to set your heart and your life on fire for him. So what I would like to do is to ask you just where you are to pray. Just you and God. You don't even need to speak out. Just you and God. If you don't yet know God, ask him to reveal himself to you. If you do know God and you want more of him, ask him. Ask and you will receive. Seek and you'll find. Ask him. God, fill me again with your spirit. Tell him that you love him and that you want more of his presence with you. That you want whatever he has for you. And maybe if you are willing to do that as a sign that you are willing to receive whatever God's it got for you. Maybe you just want to hold out your hands because that's what we do when somebody offers us a gift. Just as a sign to say, yeah, I want you. So let's just, I'll be quiet for a moment too to let you pray. Father, you hear these silent prayers. You know what is in our hearts. And where there is that hunger for you, we pray that it would be satisfied. Where there is longing for you, will you meet that longing? Father, will you pour out your spirit today? not just as an idea or a concept, not just as a nice thing, but will you pour out your Spirit to revive and renew, to heal and to restore, to give us dreams and visions, to fill us with passion and enthusiasm, to give us energy for the work that you've called us to do so that we can serve you so that we can worship in spirit and in truth. Father, we know, we know that we cannot do this work in our own strength. We know that as Andrew said earlier, It doesn't work when we do that. When you are not in us, when your spirit is not in us. It doesn't work. But 
But when your spirit is in us, nothing's too hard. Nothing's too much. And so, Father, we pray again that you would pour out your spirit on us today. Maybe on somebody for the first time. Help them to know that it is you. And give them the good gifts that you have for them. Father, maybe somebody today needs to be healed of something. And we pray that as you pour out your spirit, that healing might occur. Maybe somebody needs to be set free from something. And Father, we pray that as you pour out your spirit, they might be set free. Because your spirit is life. And with him is life in all its fullness. Father, we thank you for what you've done in this place already and what you still have to do. Will you fall on our hearts, on our lives, on our relationships, on our ministries, on our visions and dreams, on our attitudes, on our families, our finances, on our minds, on all that we are. And will you take us Enabling us to worship and to serve. Amen.